All right, children up to the age of three can go to the back. And for the rest of us, uh, let's turn to the book of James. We're still walking through the epistle of James. We're in chapter one. And today I am going to cover verses 16 through 18. But before I do, I'd like to um, give some context to where we've been and and what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Last week, Scripture showed us that there's a difference between tests and temptations. Um, Verses 2 through 4 and also verse 12 of James chapter 1 tell us that trials are their tests from God. And he uniquely and purposefully creates tests for us. Um, Verses 2 through 4 say this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How can we count it joy? Well, because God is involved. God is orchestrating the trials. God is in charge of those trials that we are are enduring. That's the only way we can count it as joy. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is why we can count it joy. But then James also says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Why? For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, I say tests are good because they are created and they are, um, they are orchestrated by God for us. But temptations are a little bit different. Or I shouldn't say a little bit. They're a lot different. Because in verse 13, James says God tempts no one. He says, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. When God sovereignly allows us to face trials, we have many choices to make, but I'd like to say in general, we have two choices to make. Um, We can either trust him or we can trust ourselves. And that's what I spoke to you about last week. Uh, Last week, I said that when we trust him, we find strength for today and we also find hope for tomorrow. When we trust in ourselves instead of him, uh, we are enticed by our own evil desires and we are led away by sin. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, we talked about those last week. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death when we have stood the test so to speak he is the one who should get the glory but when we have failed the test the blame is a hundred percent ours that's just the way it goes that's the way it should be And the reason why it is that way and the reason why it should be that way is because who God is and who we are. See, today James continues to identify God's role in our suffering. In our two verses, James teaches us about God's character. I point back to who he is and who we are. But not only that, he also teaches us about his work so that we can endure the trials of life. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. He says here, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect 
gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That is the word of God. All right, so first of all, the way I like to do this is I like to get verses 16 through 18 and kind of divide it the best that I can. Number one, I want to talk about God's character as we endure our our trials. Number two, I want to talk about his work as we endure our trials. Now, I will say this. I will start with his character, but it's hard to separate his character from his work. So you're going to hear the two um, being talked about here within this verse. But there is another work that James talks about in verse 18 that I like to separate from uh, verses uh, 16 and 17. So let's talk about God's character here as James points it out. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, which means do not be led astray or do not be fooled. Do not be tricked. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And then he says, from the father, the father of heavenly lights, right? But, or the father of lights. But the fact is, is that every good and every perfect gift is from the father. That's the important thing uh, of the first half of this verse. Now, we are not to think that when we are enduring trials of various kinds, that God is tempting us to do evil. Uh, Why? Well, because James already talked about that. Number one, he says that God, he himself tempts no one to evil. If he did, imagine if God laid a snare for you or he laid a trap for you. Who could escape it? Nobody could because God knows us like no one else does. He knows our weaknesses. If he was the one who was tempting us, we would fail every single time. That's just one reason. There's a whole lot of other reasons. Number two is that God will not tempt us with evil because of his nature, because of his character. He is perfect. He is holy. He is good. God does not sin, so then therefore he does not provoke us to sin. That's the exact reason why we are commanded to do the same with our children. Our father does not provoke us to anger. Our father does not provoke us to sin. So then therefore he commands us, do not provoke your children to sin. Now God's role in our suffering is to use whatever trial we are enduring at the time for his glory and our ultimate good. That's that's what his role is in general. God's doing a whole lot more in the details, but in general, we can see that he is using that trial that we are going through for his glory and our ultimate good. And I heard some of that said during Sunday school, so you're going to hear some of the same things that Brother Mike was talking about. Uh, The London Baptist Confession of Faith says this about God's providence. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, 
infinite goodness and mercy. That is so great. That is what God is doing in your trial. That is what God is doing every single day of your life. Even when you sleep, even when you are paralyzed because you cannot act, that's what God is doing continuously. Why? Because this is who God has always been. And what James is pointing out is that this is who he will continue to be forevermore. In other words, and I want you to listen very closely to this, no matter how hard or how horrible a trial can be, it doesn't change God's purpose for the Christian. No matter how hard or horrible any life trial can be, it does not change God's plan for the Christian. His plan, his purpose, however you want to phrase it, stays on course. God is not surprised by anything. God is not overwhelmed by anything. God and his plans endure everything. And that's what we are seeing from James as he discusses God's character. And the reason why God doesn't have to change anything, he doesn't have to change his plans, he doesn't have to change his purpose, is because nothing is greater than he. You and I, we don't experience that. We have to change things all the time. And the reason why is because things come up that we did not expect. We're not, we don't have infinite knowledge like God does. We don't have infinite power. There are circumstances around us that we have to adapt to. But God does not adapt to anything. He simply is. The reason we know this to be true is deeper than our own experiences. Because if it was just based on our experiences, I think our opinions would be different. But we know this to be true as Christians because of his word. James says that every good and every perfect gift comes from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. I love that phrase. It speaks to God's power in creation of the heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, the stars. You see, James points out that God alone has sovereign power over their existence. To us, these things are beyond us. We wonder about the sun. We wonder about the moon, about the stars. There is information that we're still finding out to this day. We, we sit there and we, we wonder and how they work and how they are so dependable, how they're in the sky all the time. We have scientific knowledge as to how they are, but yet we sit there and we wonder who placed them there? How did they get there? And the answer to all of that is God. He alone has sovereign power over their existence, and he alone has sovereign power over their daily activities. God is not a God who has created everything, taken his hands off and says, okay, I'm just going to watch it happen, and whatever happens, happens. God is in control. He is he, he is in control of their existence and their daily activities. If it were not for God, the sun would not rise. Amen? If it were not for God, the moon would not be where it's at. The tides would be chaos. The world would be chaos. Everything would fall apart if it were not for God's sovereign power every second of the day watching 
over his creation and commanding the heavenly lights to be where they're at. But see, they give their light or they are covered by shadows. They are covered in darkness due to seasons, due to times. But James is like, no, 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 you don't get it. These heavenly lights are great and wonderful and you wonder about them. But God is greater than they are because he has created them. There is no way that the creation or what has been created is greater than the one who has created it. So he says, he, he refers to God as the father of lights. This, the lights, they, are, they give their light and they're covered by shadows due to seasons and times, but from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. James, James claims that God stands alone as the great I am. Now, it's necessary and inevitable that all created things change. It's, it's going to happen, and we experience that every single day. We change depending on our circumstances. How do we know this? Well, we age, right? Just getting out of bed this morning, you know that there's a change, right? You, you feel it. Every five, every ten years, you really feel it. You may not feel it from day to day, but every five to ten years, you're like, wow, that's a big difference there. So we age, uh, we grow in wisdom, and we grow in knowledge. As we were, when we were children, we, something said, our, our parents would say, don't touch that, that's hot. We touched it, and we found out what hot was, right? So we said, I'm not going to touch that anymore because that hurts. Uh, so through wisdom and knowledge, we change, we mature. There, are certain, there was a certain way we acted when we were uh, children. Even there's a way we acted when we were teenagers. And then as we continue to grow and we grow in wisdom and knowledge, we mature. Um, we change our minds. We change our opinions every single day. There's something that we could have said 20 years ago. We said, I'll never change my mind about this. That's a pretty humbling statement because one day you're going to find out that, yeah, you probably changed your mind about something. So we are always changing. Uh, this reminds me of years and years ago. I had a great aunt who had passed away and it caused me to go back home. And as I went back home, um, after her funeral, I was just driving around town. And as I was driving around town, I remembered where I grew up as a kid. Now, that could mean a lot of different places because my family just always moved. But there was this one house that's always, that it's always been dear to my heart. The house is no longer there. But in my family, it's referred to as the pink house because that's what it was. It was a, a pink house. But that's where my grandparents lived for a long time before they were moved out of there and they had to live in, uh, in, in basically apartment complexes. And so I, I spent my childhood there. And... I went back to go and see that place. I drove up, got there. The house had been condemned. It had been knocked down years before. And so I just stood there on the property and I walked around. Some of the same trees were there. My grandfather had built me a little seat in between uh, trees that were growing out of the ground in a Y shape. The seat wasn't there anymore, but the trees were. And I remember certain trees where my brother and I would cut off the the, the branches of it, and those were, we played, that was our swords, right? We played back and forth with each other. 
I remember where we, my grandfather had a shed in the back and there was chickens back there. My grandmother would wring their necks, throw them at us and, walk, and laugh as we ran around and the chickens were chasing after us. All, all these great, great memories as I sat there and walked around. I remember where the house was, exactly where the house was. And, and it just brought back memories, smells of my grandmother's kitchen and just all kind of different things. And then I saw the neighbor across the street and recognized the house and his daughter and he were out there, went over there just to see if they would remember me. Last time I had been there, I was probably about five or six years old. And so I walked over there and they were working in the, gra in the grass and in the flower bed. I introduced myself and they were kind of standoffish at first. But once I said I used to live in that house, the daughter looked at me. She says, I remember you. I remember you. She said, yeah, you were this little dark kid. You just, had, you just had big hair, you had shorts on, no shoes, no shirt, and you were running around outside all the time. And I was like, yep, that, that was me. She had changed a lot because last time I had seen her, she was just around, probably around 19 or 20. And now, you know, this was years and years later. She was in her 40s or 50s now. The dad, the dad, I remember him walking around and being healthy, and now he's, he was in a wheelchair when I spoke, when I was speaking to him at the time. And the one thing that kept on coming to mind as I'm speaking to them, and I know they were thinking about it as they were speaking to me, how much things change. And I remember that exact moment in time thinking, I wish I, wish I could go back just for a second just to experience and see and, and, and see those things again and be with those people again, because a lot of the people that I was thinking about were gone. Things change. And that is something that is difficult in life. And that's something maybe that you're struggling with right now. The fact that things change so much. And now everything has changed in your life and you feel like you have no control over it. Listen, that may be true for you, but that is not true for God. Because things do change for us. But God is God and he stays sovereign all of the time. God stands far above us as the creator. He has no reason to change. Why? Because he is perfect, he is holy, and he is good. We all have our opinions about things. Everybody has an opinion. Um, that's more evident today than, I think, in the history of mankind with social media. Everybody has an opinion. Um, we have opinions about our trials, the trials that we endure. We probably do not like them. We're probably thinking, I can do without this, God. Um, give me something different. I'd rather have the problem of them over there or of them over there, but I don't want the problems that I have or the trials that I have. So we do have opinions about the trials that we endure, but God knows the end from the beginning. The same God who created the heavenly lights and commands them daily has sovereignly given you your trial as a test. It's, it's been delivered from him to you. And listen, if you are his... And I'm preaching this sermon as I'm speaking to his church. If you are his, that trial has been given to you in love. That trial has been given to you 
to grow you, to uh, bring out the impurities in you. That trial has been given to you so that you will be sanctified by his grace and his mercy. The God who created everything is a God who has given you that trial. He knows exactly what he is doing. He's been doing this from the very beginning of creation, and he continues to do it today. He does not change. Now, you can choose to trust him, and you should, because, number one, if you really think about it, you do not have the power to change his mind or his will. Again, you are the creation. He is the creator. But you should also trust him because you know that he has promised in his word to care for you as his people. As I sit here and think about that fact, I can't think of a better example than for us to remember that than the empty cross. The empty cross is the greatest proof of that for us. The empty cross is the greatest proof of that for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. There was nothing that you did to deserve the death of Christ or the sacrifice of Christ, yet he did it for you. Throughout history, humanity has not been faithful to God, yet he remains faithful to himself. He will not fail in delivering on his promises to the church. God can be trusted over anything else. So yes, you can trust him because, and I go back to this, he is perfect, he is holy, and he is good. He always has been, and he will always be because he does not change. And that's what James is preaching to us in this text, that's what he's telling us we can rest assured. There's a psalm that I've been really going back to a lot lately, and, and it's really ministered to me. Uh, it just sings about God's wonderful uh, power to save us from all of our trouble and to help us in all of our needs. This is Psalm 13. I want to read it to you to back up this claim of who God is in his character that he does not change and that he could be trusted. This is what David says. How long, O Lord? Let me just stop there. How many of us have felt that? Right? We can identify with that question. How long, O Lord? Here's King David, the, the man that you think had everything he ever needed. He's, he's a king. He's powerful. You would think, oh, this guy has it all together. I want his problems. Believe me, you want nothing of David's problems. And he sits there, he opens up this psalm, he says, How long, O Lord? That's been our prayer before. Will you forget me forever? That has also been our prayer before. How long will you hide your face from me? We have felt that before. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And then there's a but. But I have trusted 
in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Man, that's awesome. You see, the psalmist goes back to the fact that he can trust in his steadfast love because God has never failed him. Even though all this is falling apart, even though he's wondering, when is it going to end? How, how is it going to end? Lord, I'm overtaken. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt by this trial. I don't know what to do. How long is this happening for? But one thing I do know, I trust in your steadfast love because of who you are. Brother or sister, I want to tell you that today. Listen, God does not change. He is perfect, holy, and good. He always has been. He always will be. Whatever trial you are enduring, however hard it is, know that it is a test from God. It is to bring out the impurities in you, to sanctify you. And know that you can trust God. You can trust in his steadfast love. You can rejoice in your salvation and you can sing to the Lord. Why? Because he's always been good to you. That's an awesome thing. So that speaks to his character. We can always trust him because of who he is. But it also, what about his work? As I said, as I spoke about his character, we speak about his work. So we see God working in the details of life. He is sovereign over all things. He's given us our trials as tests. He's growing us through it. That all is, is his work. But James uniquely separates verse 18 from verses 16 through 17. And that's the work that I want to speak to you about today. He says in verse 18 that of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Um, we, speak, we spoke about God's work in that he gives us every good and every perfect gift. Uh, because of God, uh, we have what we need for life and godliness. All praise, glory, and honor should go to him because he is truly good in every possible way. Our faith and our hope, they are both encouraged by this because we know that God doesn't change. He was, he is, and forever will be God. He is the great I am. But the work James speaks of next is the work that God works in us to the very end. And notice I said the work that he works in us. It's wonderful that he says that of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Uh, there are several things that, could be, that are meant by this. Number one, this verse speaks to his wonderful work in saving us. Of his own will, he brought us forth. See, of his own will, we are saved. This speaks to his work in salvation. It is by the will of God that you have come to the knowledge of him. It is by the will of God that you have repented from your sins. It is by the will of God that you see Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is by the will of God that you experience friendship with him, 
instead of being his enemy. It is by the will of God that you have life in itself. Uh, John chapter 1 speaks about this in verses 12 through 13. This is what John says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Praise be to God that we are not who we used to be. And praise be to God that we're going to continue to grow in wisdom and knowledge and that we're going to continue to spiritually mature because if we were left to our own devices, we would be lost. So it is by the will of God that we have come to the saving knowledge of God. And that's why James says of his own will, he has brought us forth. But secondly, this verse speaks of his work in our regeneration. The translation from Greek can also read, of his own will, he has given us birth by the word of truth. I, I, I love that because, again, it points back to God's work. Uh, we, we came to saving knowledge because of God, because of his will. He brought forth his word to us. We received it, and then we were regenerated. Well, the reason why we were regenerated is because God gave us spiritual birth, so to speak. Uh, listen to this out of 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Man, praise God for that. Because none, none of us can uh, make ourselves be born or make ourselves be born that's something that happens to us Peter says it is his great mercy in which he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that's the great work of God when it comes to regeneration regeneration is the, our nature being changed, our, our nature of just complete corruption to having the Spirit of God live in us and having the Spirit of God use us for God's glory. Before we were his enemy, now we are his friends. Before we opposed God, now we worship and praise God. And it's all due to his work of regeneration. And then number three, when you look at this verse, this verse speaks of his work in our sanctification, also in our glorification. What does that mean? Sanctification talks about our spiritual, our spiritual growth. And the culmination of our spiritual growth is this wonderful existence with God where we will not be affected by our own sin anymore or the consequences of sin anymore. So those two go hand in hand and both are the work of God. Uh, regenerate believers are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's why James mentions that in this verse. See, the renewal process will eventually culminate with the glorification of all things, including us, through Christ. 
See, what happens here and now, or what's happening to you here and now on this earth, is that there is growth, there is change, but in reality, on this side of heaven, everything is just passing away. Everything that we see, it's just passing away. Even as we grow and as we age, as we grow in wisdom, sooner or later, that's all going to pass away. That's why scripture says outwardly we are passing away, but there's something else that God is doing that's more important and more permanent. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. See, what God is doing in us does not pass. What God is doing in us stays forever. It's everlasting. And that all goes back to who God is and the work that he is doing in us as we live in this world, as we are sanctified and eventually as we are glorified. Now, it's pretty interesting that the Bible in several places, uh, Paul speaks about our glorification in a very confident way. James is also speaking about it in a very confident way. And the reason why they can speak to it in a very confident way, as it will happen, is because they know who God is. If a God who is completely perfect, holy, and good says, this is what I will do, they believed him at his word. So they know what God said is going to happen because God said it. For you and I, we need to have the same faith. We can speak confidently about our glorification because God said it. He will not lie to us and he will not fail on bringing about his promises. Right now, what's awesome is that we are at the beginning stage of our glorification, if you will. But in Christ, it only gets better from here. As I said, now we experience life and we feel great. We are blessed. Um, we find joy in various trials because of Christ. And that's why we're still dealing with the sinful nature and we're still dealing with the consequences of sin. But God has promised us that there is a better place. There's a better circumstance. There's a better situation for those of us who trust in Christ. So the bad news is, yeah, we have to deal with sin here and now. The good news is it only gets better from here. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing to be called a child of God. That's why God says, give me your burdens, right? Cast your burdens on me because I care for you. There is a reason why we are told to do that. We worship a sovereign God. We worship a God who does not change. There is no need for him to change. We must trust him. We must. And we must find a way to be able to know that no matter what we go through, we're going to be okay because we have the Lord. That is so easy for us to say and so easy for us to agree with. But when times are tough, when, when, when we are going through it, 
That's where we have to come back to these things and we have to find joy in our circumstance because we worship a God who is holy, good, and perfect. Our perfect, good, and holy. See, knowing that God doesn't change because he doesn't need to brings, should bring us encouragement, should give us strength, should renew our hope and our faith. We already worship somebody who is perfect, holy, and good. That should give us some comfort in our trials. If you learn to trust him, then you will be able to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Knowing the work that God is accomplishing while you stand the test should lead to praise, to honor, and glory to him. Now, in order for us to get to this point, in order for us to practice what we preach, and I'm, I'm right there with you, uh, this has been a blessing to me. It has really helped me in my trial. And in order for us to get to this place, a good place to where we can trust him, listen, it's not going to make sense. It, it's, it's not something that you can prepare for. It's not something that you can coach yourself up to do. It's not something that you can force yourself to do. It's something that you're going to have to do and accept by faith. Because that's what trust is, isn't it? To trust in someone is to say, I believe in you and I believe what you're capable of. I trust in you because of who you say you are, what you've done for me in the past, and how scripture says you do not change. You are perfect, you are holy, you are good, and you are somebody who is trustworthy. That's why we are to trust in him. So it's going to require us to walk by faith. And every now and then, the one who does tempt us externally, the enemy is going to come and he's going to say, wait a second, God has failed you again. God doesn't care about you again. The difference, the difference we have or the difference in our situation is what we do internally with that temptation. If we trust in ourselves and if we follow our own hearts, if, if, if we lean on our own knowledge, that's going to lead us to sin. That's going to lead us to turning our backs to God. That's going to lead us to depending on ourselves instead of depending on God. But if we remember his promises and if we say, look, I don't understand what's going on. I cannot. I don't have the answers. I don't know how long this is going on for. But if I trust in God, I know he will be faithful. And no matter how this earthly situation ends, if it ends in my life, if it ends in my death, if it ends in continuous sickness, whatever it is, I must trust in him because he is perfect, he is holy, and he is good. Listen, God has never failed you. And according to his nature, and according to his work, he never will. Let's pray.